continuing to study the um, Shorter Catechism. We're getting near the end. We're at question 104 today. And if you need one of the catechisms, there are some on the back table, or at least they're supposed to be. Um, so a uh, little, little book back there. And also on the handout, uh, we have the question that we're doing today. So, um, yeah, we're, we've got to the fourth petition, and that one is the um, give us this day our daily bread. So, as we prepare to look at this, I want to begin by simply reading to you the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, verse 9 through 13. So, here is God's Word, beginning in Matthew 6, 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Take a look at this prayer. I want you to look at it, okay, the overview of it, because we're going to talk about sort of a transitional thing that's going on here. You'll notice a change that comes with the fourth petition from the use of the word your to the use of the word our. In the first three petitions, we're praying for things that concern God. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking God in those first three petitions to so work in the world that what is due to him from us will be given to him. The honor, the allegiance, and the obedience. But then in the last three petitions, Jesus teaches us to pray for the things that we need from God, for our daily bread, for the forgiveness of our sins, and to deliver us from temptations and from evil. So we pray first for matters that pertain to God, and second for matters that pertain to us. This arrangement shows us that we ought to be concerned, first of all, for what belongs to God, and then with our needs before Him. It is the same emphasis that we found when we studied the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments concern our duty to God, and the last six, our duty to each other. As Jesus taught us when He summarized the commandments, the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord our God with all our soul and with all our strength and with all our mind. And uh, the, the second is like it, to love our neighbor as ourselves. So we have this order consistently through Scripture. It only makes sense that this same priority would carry over to our prayers. Nevertheless, it is very common for those to pr- who pray to almost completely leave out the first three petitions that have to do with God and to go straight to God and to pray only 
for those things that concern us. Lord, I need this. Will you do this for me? Will you forgive me? Will you help me with this trouble that I'm having, this temptation, this pressure, this sort of thing? This is no little omission. And sadly, one that truly reflects the condition of our selfish hearts before God. But still, you are instructed to pray for your own needs too. And it can be an error in the other way to pray only for the things that pertain to God. You should never become so zealous praying for the first three petitions that you neglect to pray for human needs, for our particular needs that we have in the world. Of course, the truth is that the first three petitions have much to do with what we need in the world as well, but not in as direct a way, is it? The truth is that unless we have our daily bread and forgiveness of our sins and preservation from temptation, we will not be in a position to hallow God's name and to promote his kingdom and to obey his will. Like without forgiveness of sins, how can you serve God? If you're swallowed up with temptations, how can you serve God and promote his kingdom? So let no one suppose that the last three petitions are not important. They are. They're just not as important. Sometimes you'll have a highly liturgical church and they will have prayers for the first three things about God, but they never pray for particular needs with among the members of the congregation or among one another. That's why we always even have a separate prayer meeting where we bring requests and we pray for particular things that are related to us. Somebody's looking for a job or, or whatever it might be to try to incorporate the whole scope. Now, of course, in our general prayers in the, in the worship services too, we pray in general for our needs um, in, in both the, um, the first three uh, or, or in the, the last three petitions. So with that in mind, let's move on to take a closer look at the fourth petition. Let's begin by confessing the answer to question 104 that uh, is our subject today. Question 104. What do we pray for in the fourth petition? In the fourth petition, which is, give us this day our daily bread, we pray that of God's free gift, we may receive a competent portion of the good things of this life and enjoy his blessing with them. Now, I want you to see by the very presence of the fourth petition that you're called by our Lord to ask for material blessings. Sometimes God's people can be hesitant about this. It can seem sort of unspiritual to pray for maybe a raise in our income or something like that to ask God to give us food and clothing. But that's just what Jesus is telling us to pray for here. I've run into people before that said, oh, this is talking about praying for our spiritual bread. No, this is talking about praying for our physical bread, what we eat every day. By bread as men, as our catechism puts it, the good things of this life. This includes four different things that we could consider. First, bread includes the food by which our bodies are nourished and sustained. The word bread is often used in Scripture to refer to everything that we eat. In other words, do we have enough bread? 
Do we have food, in other words? Because it was foundational to the people's diet in Bible times. God has, from the creation of the world, provided us with a huge variety of delicious, nourishing food. But we must see that he not only gave these in the sense that he created them all, but he is also the one in his providence that brings food right to our very table. And that if he doesn't do that, we won't have any food. So that's why we ask him for these things. Psalm 145, 15 through 16 says, The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand to satisfy the desire of every living thing. It is by the active providence of God that we are fed and that all things in creation are fed. Clearly, the food that we have, we have from God. This is so with every creature. Every creature has its food from God. But as we humans are part of the intelligent creation that needs food, then we are the ones who are supposed to ask for food. We're not supposed to just let God give it to us, as you might say, but we're supposed to be engaged in asking him and then thanking him when we receive it. Even our rebellion, he has continued to provide for us. After the fall, it's noteworthy that he came to Adam and promised him that he would still eat bread. He said you would eat out of the ground, uh, the foods that you grow. However, the difference is that it would be with toil and hardship, by the sweat of the brow, that you would eat food. There would be droughts and famines and hard labor now, but food would still be provided. Obviously, it has been, or we would not be here. The human race would have been wiped out a long time ago. Think about all the hundreds of years that God has sustained us. But still, even though we are fallen, God will provide for us. Acts 14, 17 declares, Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So do you sincerely ask God for your food or do you just assume that you will have your food? You know, is, do, you, do you realize that you really do depend on him for that? Although it's true that many have their bread without asking, there is no one that has their bread without God giving it to them. So we can have it without asking, but we can't have it apart from God giving it to us. So you see, first of all, that bread includes all foods by which we are sustained. Secondly, praying for your daily bread involves praying for the means by which you obtain your bread. God has appointed as a general rule that we obtain our provision by our labor, by working. The Bible says even that if a man won't work, neither shall he eat. Now, of course, there are disabled people and there are elderly people who cannot work, but they rightly obtain their bread their daily bread in other ways, okay? People looking after them and providing for them. This is something that God has appointed for their provision. And it's right to receive provision in that way as well. And they pray for their daily bread in that way. But for many of you, praying that you will be able to make a living involves praying that you will have a suitable job and that you will have health and strength to do that job and that you will have wisdom to know how to provide 
for your needs and that God will give you success in your work so that you may provide not only for yourself, but also for others around you or those that are dependent on you and that you will be diligent so that you can provide well for yourself and your household. Laziness can be more destructive to a family's provision than sickness. But in Deuteronomy 8.18, the Lord impressed upon his people that it is he who gives them not only their bread, but the power to get wealth. And we need to remember that. Your ability to work is from the Lord. And so you need to pray for, for this ability. And there are other things you need to pray for that have to do with obtaining a living. If you own a backhoe and earn your living digging ditches with a backhoe, then one of the things you need is a backhoe that works. So praying for your daily bread for you might involve praying that you will be able to find a new backhoe when the old backhoe died. Those are the kind of prayers that are appropriate for us in this regard. And if you're a farmer, you need to pray especially for rain for your crops, for protection from storms that will come. And it has to do with your living and the living of other people that you provide for with your, food, with your crops. And if you're one who receives assistance from others by charity, what should you pray for then? If you have provision through other people, you should pray for God's blessing on those who, who sustain you that God would provide for them and richly bless them so that they can continue to provide for you. So don't only pray for bread, but pray for the means by which you obtain your daily bread. That's still not all that's involved. Thirdly, and by extension, praying for bread also includes praying for physical health. This is evident because bread is for the body to nourish and sustain it. When we ask a blessing on our food, we're asking God to take that daily food and use it in a way that will be nourishing and not destructive to us. The food is, we don't want it to be a curse to us, but a blessing to us. If you're sick or injured, you are to bear it patiently the way Job did, but it is right for you to ask the author and sustainer of life to give you health in this world so that you can continue to serve him. You can say things like, Lord, who can praise you in the grave? You know, sustain my health and sustain my strength. Remember King Asa and his diseased feet. He was blamed because he did not pray for his health and sought only the aid of the physicians. That was displeasing to God. It's not wrong to seek aid from physicians, but it is wrong to do that without praying to the Lord. Second Chronicles sixteen twelve says, And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So just as we do not have bread alone without God giving it, so we do not have health alone without God giving us that. We need to realize that we're dependent on him for our health. In contrast to Asa, who neglected to pray for his health, we have the example of John the Apostle in 3 John verse 2 praying for the health of his friend Gaius, who is not well. In 3 John 2, he says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. So pray for health, prayer for health is included under this category of daily bread. But that's still not all that is included under the word bread. Bread also includes treasures and pleasures. God has seen fit to give us food that is much more 
than mere sustenance. Just think of all the variety that he has given us, all the different foods that we can eat. Aren't you glad that God has been gracious to do that? Just look at the things that he, he has made. Not only water, but also wine. Not only bread, but also steak and oranges and seasonings and things. Not only ordinary stones, but also diamonds and rubies. Why has God put all these things into his creation? It is for our enjoyment. Besides these things, he gives us many other pleasant things. There is science and art and music and crafts and amazing technology. These things bring pleasure to us and they bring glory to God if we receive them from God. If we receive them without asking, then we're not glorifying God in them. Many people have their calling in providing such things for others. And this is part of our daily portion too. God gives us all this wonderful bounty to us in his goodness to fill our hearts with gladness. We're taught that in Acts. It brings glory to him. James also tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And in 1 Timothy 4, someone says, well, that might just be spiritual gifts. Well, go to 1 Timothy 4, 4 and 5. Paul says, for every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So God is pleased to give us extra abundant blessing in this life. We don't want to get caught up with that the way that the prosperity teachers would tell us, but neither do we want to overreact to that and say that it's wrong for us to ask God for not only the necessities, but also for more than the necessities that we may give glory to him for his abundance of everything. So you see then that your bread includes all these things, material provision, the means to obtain that, our health, and all other good things of this life. You're to pray for these things. And now an important question arises. How much bread, how much of the good things of this life ought you to ask for? How much should you ask God for? The rule is that you should ask God to give us our portion for today. That's what we're led to do in this prayer that Jesus has given us. First, notice that it is our daily bread and not another's that we're to ask for. If you are stealing part of your daily bread by cheating people, you see, you might be doing this in a subtle way, right? Cheating people, lying gaining wealth through prostitution or some other legitimate means, it is no longer your daily bread. And you can't ask God to give it to you and provide it to you because you're not getting it from God in the way he appointed. You can't sincerely pray for your daily bread until you repent of the ill-gotten gain. The same is said if you're withholding part of your tithe. How can you ask the Lord to give you your daily portion when you're hoarding or spending what properly belongs to him. You can't, you can't do that. You can't say, Lord, bless, bless me, provide for me. You don't have anything from God if you're not giving to him what is his. That would be like asking God to provide for you through robbing a bank. What would be really the difference? You see, so we hear it said about a bank and we say, well, yeah, nobody would go and ask God to bless them when they were robbing a bank. I wouldn't put it past some people, but <laughs> even so... That's essentially what we're doing in some cases. But there is something else involved in asking for our daily bread. 
you are to ask God for the amount that is right for you, okay, for us. What is our daily bread? What is the portion that is best for us that we may best serve the Lord? Now, that points to Egger's prayer that we read earlier in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 8 and 9 in our scripture reading, where he said, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food allotted, the food allotted to me, what God has apportioned for me, you see, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You are to put the matter entirely in God's hands when you pray. That's what you do when you pray properly. Give us this day our daily bread. Ask him in wisdom to measure out to you just what is best for you, that you might do the most important thing of all, honor and glorify God in your life and with your provision. Tell God that if riches are going to hinder you from serving him and make you forget him, and they do often hinder people, don't they? Riches often hinder people. Then you do not want those riches. Don't give them to me if they're going to draw me away from you. And if poverty is going to hinder you or be too much for you to bear, then tell God that you don't want that either. And I remember what we're talking about here, that we, what we said about bread before. This could be things like health too, couldn't it? That we pray for the health that God has apportioned to us and, and be willing to be stretched by God in both ways if he is so pleased. If you're being stretched by poverty, don't demand more. God wants to teach you how to be poor. The scriptures teach us that it is possible to learn how to have an abundance or to have only a little. Paul testified that he had learned this lesson as he experienced these things. He said in Philippians 4.11, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. You also can learn this, and it is God's will for you to learn it. So don't say, well, this is too hard for me. No, if God has given it to you, you need to learn to have whatever he has appointed. The truth is that he will not give you more or less than you can bear if you belong to him. He apportions it out to us with wisdom. If you think he has, you're mistaken and you need to ask for his help. If you had less than you think you can bear, if you have less than you think you can bear, insist that he either give you the grace to bear it or that he would give you more. But don't charge God with doing wrong to you. And if you find that riches are making you apathetic about the things of God, even if it's just your phone or your computer games or something like that, then you might need to get rid of some things. You might need to say, these things are hindering me. I need to put them aside. I need to put them aside for part of the day, whatever it might be. Maybe you're not spending time in God's word because you're all distracted and you're thinking about all these other things. Then you need to impoverish yourself that way voluntarily. You need to ask God to help you to rightly use what he has given you and to enjoy it as his gift 
instead of squandering it in a way that, that destroys your relationship with God. Possessions can draw you to God if they are thankfully used, but they can draw you away if they are covetously used. You have to be very alert and watchful about this because riches have a way of numbing you so that you don't even notice that you're being completely distracted and diverted from the Lord. Your heart has grown cold and you don't care because your heart's cold. It's hard and stony-like. Examine your heart, you know, even right here and right now. Are there things that you need to change? So do not insist on having or not having when it comes to daily bread. Leave the matter to the Lord and take responsibility in the way that I have just described. Give me what is right for me, my daily portion. Give us this day our daily bread. Now let's move on to the third thing involved in asking for our daily bread. Note well that it's today's portion that you are to ask for. Give us this day our daily bread. It's easy for, you to, for us to look for yesterday's portion if we had a lot in the past. Like Lot's wife, okay, she had a lot. Uh, she, could, she could not bear to leave Sodom because of all the riches that she and her husband had enjoyed there. That's why she looked back when God told her not to. She was turned into a pillar of salt. Jesus says something to us about that. He brings it up. What does he say? Remember Lot's wife. Why do I need to remember Lot's wife? She's not a good example. No, she's not. She's an example of what happens when we look with longing eyes on what we used to have when God has been pleased to take that away from us. And then there is the problem of asking for tomorrow's bread today. Another kind of problem. There are so many people that want more than God has given them today, and then they go into debt and end up spending what God has not given them in ways that are impoverishing themselves and their children in the future. There are some kinds of debt that could be uh, considered appropriate for uh, certain things that you might need that you can repay and through working and, and things like that. But if you're just wanting to do something, you don't have the money for it, and you go and like go on a big vacation or something, and you spend a bunch of money you don't have, and you run up the bills, and you, you should wait until you can save up for such things. Our government has been doing this in an awful way, a criminal way for a long time. Today's politician wants us to like him, so he takes tomorrow's wealth and spends it today by going into massive, massive, massive debt. Why is that criminal? Because he robs our children. And we rob our children when we do the same thing, when we spend money that is going to have to be repaid in the future. Who's going to repay that money? And you know what the outcome of that will be, don't you? It's already starting to happen. The generation who has done that so extensively is going to have their children kill them because their children that they impoverished will not be able to provide for them. And their children that many of them were, were killed in the womb, they will come, they, there will be so few of them that they won't be able to provide for the next generation and so they will terminate that generation. It comes back. And we need, to, we need to recognize the wickedness. And even to in dealing on the political scene to, to address these kind of problems that they are not right. 
it's not right to use tomorrow's wealth today. It gets you elected. You can say, we're going to build this for you and we're going to give you this handout and we're going to give you that. Whose money are you using? It's money that God has not given you. And related to this, there is also worry about tomorrow's provision. Jesus tells us not to worry about tomorrow because there is plenty of concern to concern ourselves with today. So even what I was just talking about, where we have gone into great poverty with, uh, in a wrong way, we, 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 as God's people, we, can, we aren't to worry about those things. We're to address them and deal with the, the wrong and try to correct it. But God does not, when, when he says for us to, uh, that there's plenty of concern for today, he does not mean that we're not to take in, or not to worry about, when he says we're not to worry about tomorrow, he doesn't mean that we're not to take in a harvest and store it up for the whole year ahead of us, for example. But Jesus points out that the birds don't do that and God still takes care of them. But he doesn't mean by saying that, that we're not supposed to do that. We as human beings are supposed to grow crops and then store them up and put them in granaries or preserves or or whatever and and use them in the future during when the growing season is not on. That's how God provides for us as human beings. But we're not to fret and to hoard and to uh, be be afraid of what's going to happen to us. So so what, what is he telling us then? He's telling us that we must not cling to what we ought to give today because of fear that we won't have enough tomorrow. So we need to minister to needs and things like that that are around us and leave it to God to provide for tomorrow. Now I want to show you several reasons you ought to pray for your daily bread. We'll look at six of them. First of all, you should pray for daily bread for the honor and glory of God. By praying, you honor God as the one who is the source of every gift. When you don't ask, you treat him as though he is not the one who provides for you. Paul had to rebuke the men of Athens for not acknowledging God as the one who is taking care of them. He said in Acts 17.25, We ought not to think of God as though he needed anything from us, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. He is to be honored as our provider, and one of the ways that we honor him is by asking him for uh, what he would give us. He determines our lot in this world. You do not give him the honor unless you ask him for your daily bread. In the book of Ruth, Naomi and her family thought they were empty, so they went down to Moab to get food. There was a drought, and they did this instead of looking to God. They were supposed to live in the land that God had provided for them and appointed them to live in. But instead, they went to Moab because of the famine. They honored Moab instead of God, just as Asa honored the physicians instead of God. Naomi, after losing her husband and her two sons, returned with nothing, declaring that, in fact, she had gone out full and returned empty. They thought they were going out empty to get full. But she said, I was full, actually, when I went out, and now I come back empty. But God, in his rich grace, made her full again when she honored him and confessed that. She testified that it was of him alone to make rich or to make poor. This is the honor that is due to God. But you do not show that honor if you do not look to him and pray to him for your daily bread. You act as if it comes from you apart from him, whose prerogative it is to give you whatever he pleases and to take away from you as he will. He gives, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, as Job said. 
Secondly, you should pray for daily bread so that you will remember to give thanks. You know, when you haven't asked God for your daily portion, it's unlikely that you will thank him when you receive your daily portion. It's often the case that when you receive it, you don't even think about it coming from him. It's hard enough for us to remember to thank him even when we do ask. Do you remember the account of the ten lepers? They came to Jesus, they asked for healing, he healed them. And then only one of those ten returned to give thanks. And that was after asking. How many come to give thanks who receive from God without asking? Thirdly, you should pray for daily bread so that you will remember that all you have, you have from God's free mercy. You don't deserve it. When you ask God for the good things of this life, you soon realize, unless you're praying for an idol, that you have no basis on which to expect God to provide these mercies for you except for his mercy in Christ. When Jacob was desperate and when he began to pray earnestly for his life, he could not say, Lord, do this because I am so worthy of all of your blessings that you have given me. So keep on giving me the blessings because I've been so worthy of them all. But rather, he said, I am not worthy of the least of your mercies. That's what we say when we begin to pray in a sincere way to God. We don't deserve anything from him. You realize that when you ask. It leads you to Jesus in whose name alone you can expect blessing. We don't pray in our own name. We pray in Jesus' name, even when we ask for our daily bread. The story of Noah teaches us that Jesus is the only reason any of us have anything at all in this world. After the flood was over, Noah built an altar and he offered a sacrifice to God. That sacrifice represented Jesus Christ. We're told that after God smelled the aroma of that sacrifice, then, then is important there, then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, he doesn't deserve anything, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. What does this show us? It shows us that the only reason you or anyone else who has ever lived in the whole wide world has daily bread is because of Christ, who alone pleases God. If Christ was not the one who came into the world or was coming into the world to please God, that was represented by those sacrifices, then there would be no reason for God to give us anything to sustain us in this world. It is because of the salvation that God had purposed to provide through Jesus Christ that God wished to spare us. When he looked at us, all he could say was, even after the flood, even after all the other people were wiped out, all he could say was that the imagination of our hearts are evil continually. There's sin in everything that they do. But when he looked at Christ represented by that sacrifice that that Noah offered, he was pleased and he said, I will preserve the world because of the glory and beauty of my son who comes to make this world new in my image. Let this be a warning to you then to be sure you are in Christ because you know if you're not, God finds nothing good in you and he will confine you to the lake of fire where there will be no more 
physical blessings of any kind, any blessings of any kind, because you are not entitled to any blessing apart from Jesus Christ. Nothing in this world are you entitled. Whatever you have now will be taken away from you. That's what the Lord tells us. Fourthly, you should pray for daily bread in order that you might have it. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Pray for daily bread in order that you might have it. James says in truth that you have not because you ask not. This makes it clear. God withholds blessings that we don't ask for, that he might have given us otherwise. By not asking, we deprive ourselves of the bounty that we might have enjoyed from his hand. I think this is especially the case with those who are redeemed. It is true enough that God gives bountifully to those who do not pray. But as I told you, he will take everything away in the end from from those. They may enjoy his blessings for a time, but if they refuse to acknowledge him as the author of all those blessings, he will take them away and leave them with their idols. Their idols can provide for them. All the things that they trusted in this world can provide for them. Their bank account that they trusted in, that can provide for them. That will provide, that, that will do nothing. To have it without asking is to have it without his blessing. So I don't mean to say that you have to ask for every little detail if you want to have it with his blessing. But I mean that those who do not acknowledge him by dependent asking will not have his blessing with their bread. They'll have their bread, but not God's blessing with it. So that's why we want to have our bread with blessing. We need to ask for it. Fifthly, you should pray for daily bread so that you will not be anxious. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus counsels you not to worry, to take no thought about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will put on, about your body, what you will put on. He teaches that the Gentiles are absolutely consumed with these things. But we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But he also says that we're to turn the care of our bodies over to our heavenly father who clothes the flowers of the field and feeds the birds. This is done by prayer. Turning it over to Lord is by prayer. If you don't pray for your daily bread, and if you don't believe that God will supply it, you will be anxious about it. Failure to entrust the matter to God and leave it with him will lead to an anxious mind that is not able to serve God with gratitude. Doesn't that happen to you? When Ottawa froze some bank accounts of those that dared to protest some of the things they were doing recently, I began to think about how that could happen to me for preaching things that Ottawa doesn't like. They could come and freeze my bank accounts. And what would I do? How would I provide for my family when I didn't have any way to access even what I have? No way to pay for things. What would happen? What would I do? And until I worked through it to where I was able to turn that over to God and put it in his hands, then I had anxiousness about that. I had anxiety about that. I was fretting about that. But able to, once I was able to say, God, that's in your hands. And if you don't want me to have something and you take it away from me in that way, that's your business. I'm here to serve you. I'm not here to have what I think I have got to have. I'm here to serve you with or without. 
and then I could be confident to serve God and, and do what is pleasing to him without fear. And that's very important for us to, to keep in mind before us. But perhaps I should add here that it is possible to pray too much about this. The idea is not to pray and pray and pray and pray about your daily portion, but rather to pray so that you trustingly turn it over to God and leave it with Him. This isn't a prayer that we spend hours and hours on praying for our daily provision. I have known people who rarely pray for God's glory and kingdom, who rarely pray for His will to be done on earth as in in heaven, but who constantly pray for health and wealth, for their daily bread. That's not a right mix of things. These persons are also anxious because they do not see how poverty or war or sickness or whatever else they may be earnestly praying about can be used for their good and the glory of God. They don't see that poverty and and deprivation can be used to promote God's kingdom, that even death can be used to promote God's kingdom. Prayer for material things is a way of casting your burden about them onto the Lord and releasing that concern to him to take care of. Now, there may be times when you do need to pray and pray and pray about that if you are overcome with anxiety and you're not able to turn it over to the Lord. Then you may need to do that. But it's not something that, as a general rule, that you should be obsessed about. You, you leave it to, in his hands and you trust him with it. It's not, we're, we're not to demand that God would fulfill, we're not to pray that God would fulfill all of our covetous desires. James tells us plainly that he does not answer prayers that are aimed at feeding our own sinful passions and lusts. Sixthly, you should pray for daily bread so that you will remember that what you have is from him and is therefore to be used for him. Whenever you see your daily bread as something that is separate from God, when you see it as bread that you acquired without his help, you weren't asking for it, you will invariably begin to use it for your material, your, you'll begin to use your material things for your own purposes instead of for the glory of God. Have you ever met people that were too spiritual to pray for daily bread? These people fall into error because they separate their daily provision in this world from God. It's kind of like there's, there's these two places. There's, there's this place where I get my material things that has nothing to do with God. And then there's this spiritual area over here that has much to do with God that I pray about. Maybe they pray about witnessing to people, good things like that. But I'm not going to pray about this one. Well, they have detached something from God. Some who do that end up be, being gluttons because they do not see God as connected with, material, with the material world. They end up using the things in this life without reference to him, and then they misuse them. They become excessive in their eating or their drinking or whatever it is. They may indulge in greed, drunkenness, and morality, but then they go and worship God. And that's the way that some of the Gnostics did. That didn't, um, they, they looked at the material world as separate from the things of God, so, so they could go and, and engage in all kinds of adultery and immorality and all kinds of things, and then go back and worship God because they were separate from each other. You've seen that with, um, you know, people like, uh, like Al Capone, you know, he would go and uh, go to mass regularly, and uh, yet he did not repent of what he was doing in the material 
realm of things. And then there are others who end up looking at material gifts of God as evil, and they may end up as being a hermit in a monastery, following the pagan idea, you know, that, that matter is evil and spirit is good. See, the other ones see it as detached from God, and these are, see it as evil. So the person who does this is calling the gifts of God evil and rejecting them instead of using them for his glory with thanksgiving. I preached on this when we did the, uh, the Eighth Commandment, and one of the sermons I did in the Eighth Commandment. But in 1 Timothy 4, Paul calls this kind of doctrine the doctrine of demons. He says, every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. So these persons become so focused on denying things that they never learn how to deny themselves. They subject themselves to the commandments of men, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things that perish with the using. Paul says that this kind of behavior has the appearance of wisdom and godliness and that sort of thing and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body. But he says it's of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, it's actually a way of feeding their vanity rather than putting it to death. God's way is for us to pray for our daily bread and then use what he gives us with thanksgiving in ways that please him. So I hope you see that it is important to pray for material things. Jesus calls us to pray for food, health, and all other good things in this life. Each day, you're to put the matter entirely in God's hands. How happy you will be as you engage with your Heavenly Father each day and see Him constantly answering your prayers. If you pray for your daily bread, you probably have something to thank Him for every day. It has a wonderful way of connecting you with your gracious creator who is every day giving you food and clothing and gladness. If Jesus had not taught us to pray for these things, we might not have known how tender our Heavenly Father is toward us, knowing that we are creatures that have these needs, that he is concerned about these things. He truly is. He wants us to entrust it all to him. The question is, do you really do that? Do you actually give this matter over to the Lord? Please stand and let's pray. Our gracious Father in heaven, you are a very tender and kind Father, and you give us things that we need in this world. We thank you that you are so faithful to do that day after day. Now the blessing of our gracious God. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you're enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Amen. Amen. Now the blessing of our gracious God. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you're enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Amen.